0: Waiters, three seconds left for three in the win!
1: to the Road MBA NBA podcast. It is Thursday, April 16th. Nick Whalen here, joined as always by Alex Barutha. Alex, we, we have a couple items on the agenda today. Uh, some minor news from The Athletic's Sam Amick, who, who reports that there's still, uh, it, it sounds like a decent degree of optimism as far as getting the season restarted. Um, uh, although it, it does kind of seem now at this point that if that is the case, we would probably go straight to the playoffs, but Uh, We we basically have like our our general weekly update on that. Uh, So we'll we'll dive into that. Some pretty big news uh, with the number one prospect in the class of 2021, um, Jalen Green, or class of 2020, college class of of 2021, draft class 2021, um, committing rather than going to Auburn or going to Memphis, where he was considered likely to go, uh, officially committing to the NBA's new revamped G League development system. Um, So a lot of really, really interesting and, and really cool uh, for the future uh, ideas uh, being tossed around there and how that's all going to look. So we'll, we'll, we'll fully dive into that and then we'll look at your 2020-21 NBA Power Rankings, uh, which, which I understand have been broken up into tiers, uh, just kind of looking at the best teams projected for, for next season, whenever that comes, whatever that may look like. Um, so, so a nice little agenda today, Alex, as we continue to scramble for content with, with NBA games on hold. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, uh, Jalen green news kind of came out of nowhere, but kind of added to the, uh, gave us something to talk about with cause I kind of yeah. forgot that G league program existed, honestly. So it was a nice little reminder that, uh, the NBA is, is doing stuff like this
1: for sure. So we, we did our third rewatch pod. Uh, we're calling that run it back on Monday. That was Oh four Kings Timberwolves, really, really fun game. Uh, a lot of, Unintentional comedy in that game, rooted mostly in the accessories that were worn by a number of players, including Mike Bibby and um, Trent Hassel, uh, among others. But go listen to that if you haven't. We have two others that we've done. Uh, we're doing one a week, and it sounds like we're leaning toward the gold medal game from 2012 between Team USA and Spain for for next week's next week's rewatch. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, we're thinking about rewatching a draft. And, you know, instead of analyzing a game, just do the full three hour draft telecast. I I think that should provide us with some more of the the comedic moments that we've been looking for in these games.
2: Yeah, I mean, games do have their comedic moments occasionally, partially just because of, you know, like (laughs) a lot of times it is because of the accessories where people are wearing or you know, occasionally you get a good remark from a telecaster, but that can happen in any era. But the draft is great because you actually get, you know, most of the, uh, people who attend the draft for television have to come out with takes on every single player and obviously every year someone gets something wrong or you know something like that so you get comedy from the teams making mistakes you get comment uh you know uh, comedy from the uh, right. analysts making mistakes it's it, it's a good uh it, it's it's something good to watch for sure
1: initially when we started planning this podcast I thought we would spend a lot of time talking about the horse competition, which continues tonight and initially aired on Sunday night on ESPN. I have nothing to say about this. We, we previewed it on the site. We made our picks. We looked into offshore gambling odds that we eventually had to pull from the site, but it just, I I mean, disaster is probably a little bit too strong given the circumstances. I don't think anybody's blaming the NBA or ESPN for trying to put something like this together, but it, production wise, it ended up being somehow worse than I expected. And, you know, I, I tuned in for a little bit. I, I caught up on, on the highlights, which is a stretch to even call them that. But overall, the the reaction to this was uh, I, I think Horse was met with like universal just apathy. Yes. I think
2: that's the best way to put it. Because normally, even when something happens you know, in the NBA, good or bad, there's usually a, a stream of takes on it. Uh, on Twitter, and I had for I, I want to say I had forgotten that it was happening on Sunday, but I had to make a plan to watch it because I don't get cable, and so I was <laughs> had made the decision to check I didn't the highlights. Forget. I just didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'll wake up tomorrow, I'll scroll through Twitter, and I'll see what happened. And it took me quite a while to scroll through Twitter to even find a reaction on it, which yeah. was alarming. I I think I scrolled for like five minutes before someone even mentioned it. Uh, and so I just did not hear a single positive thing about it. Uh, I cannot say I actually, I I think I saw footage from, I saw a screenshot of Mike Conley's gym, and that was the only actual bit of media that I saw my timeline posted from this event. So that was alarming.
1: I naively never considered that, that some players would be using outdoor courts. I I just assumed that everyone involved had confirmed that they, you know, they had a court at their house or they had access to one somehow. Never did it occur to me that these people would be shooting outside in like Paul Pierce's, it looked like it was 20 degrees out. Like he looked miserable the entire time. Like he's, he's hampered by the clothing that he's forced to wear because it's, it's so like just gross outside. Um, so that, that's something that like, I I just never, never considered whatsoever. And I think the, the outdoor aspect of it, like really kind of took away, from from the competitiveness and you know at the end of the day this was never going to be like a hyper competitive competition but it just it, the, the video quality wasn't great, the audio quality wasn't great the you know everything just kind of seemed so distant there wasn't a lot of connection between each player. It, I don't know it again, you applaud the NBA and, and applaud ESPN for the effort but uh, I, I'm expecting this to kind of conclude with a whimper tonight.
2: Uh, as am I and I expect they will not try something like this again. <laughs>
1: No, no. I, I think depending on what happens, maybe we'll get some more hokey ideas like this. You know, if, if the NBA does ultimately cancel the season and we have no basketball until who knows when, you know, I, I think the NBA will will make some efforts to stay relevant. But I don't think we'll get a redux of horse. Anyway, speaking of the NBA potentially coming back, Sam Mamick in The Athletic uh, has a, I guess we could call it a report today that um, – Pushes some optimism, which for for someone like me who's like desperately clinging to the notion that the NBA will resume, I, I of course ate this up. There there's not a ton of juicy details or quotes or anything in this article, um, but at the end, the, the second paragraph from the bottom, he writes, "quote Another owner agreed wholeheartedly that league-wide confidence was growing that this season would be saved, as did a few other folks." Who have a quality read of the room so to me that was the biggest takeaway from this entire article just that sentence
2: yeah i mean uh it's you know it's encouraging that the owners have optimism because they're in contact with adam silver who um is going to be pretty plugged in as most uh sports commissioners are because i know you know they're they've been talking with the president uh who knows the most about uh, theoretically what's going on with coronavirus in the united states so it's good to hear that there's optimism. Obviously, the, the whole situation, I mean, we've touched on it a million times, kind of remains a logistical nightmare, but, you know, you never know. I mean, the amount of progress that, um, you know, can be made in, in Megasync in terms of quick tests and stuff like that, hopefully can be um, there There can be quick progress in that and we'll at least be able to have some semblance of a playoff or an end of the season.
1: Right, and, and Amic doesn't go into... Any further details, it's been several weeks since we've gotten a report or quotes from Adam Silver as to what the league is considering. He does casually mention that Las Vegas still seems to be the leading spot if the NBA were to go to the kind of quarantine bubble situation. And and for the most part, it seems like players are on board. I, I think the biggest difference between the NBA situation and, say, Major League Baseball, which... I thought, you know, suffered a pretty major blow this past week when Mike Trout kind of openly said, look, I don't I don't really want to be quarantined for an entire season. Like, you know, I love baseball and all that. But he mentioned that he has a kid coming and he he's like, What what do I do? You know, if I go, if I go witness the birth of my child or go meet my child for the first time, leave the team to do that, do I have to come back and be quarantined for two more weeks before I can rejoin the team? Like there are just so many logistical issues when you're trying to finish an entire regular season that you haven't even started yet. Whereas with the NBA, if we're assuming that they are going to go to what would likely be an abbreviated playoffs right away. That to me is a, is a lot more doable, even though it would come with some major, major hurdles, you know, the, the site keeping things quarantined. Like you said, the, te- the possible daily or weekly testing of not only players, but staffers, media members, you know, anybody who's required to, for, for these games to operate and, and operate on a scale that allows them to be televised nationally. That there, it's a large group of people. So there are a lot of hurdles to clear, but with the NBA, if you can assume that you're wrapping things up in a month or a month and a half, that's a lot smaller of a pill to swallow than Major League Baseball or, or even hockey that has some some similar limitations trying to, you know, to play out what would likely be 100 plus games if you're talking baseball. Yeah,
2: and it's it's tough with, you know, um, and we we've, we've seen kind of the NBA do this especially early on in the process, the, the NBA was like, okay, we're suspending things for two weeks. And then it was a month and then it was 90 days. And now it's like, okay, May 1st, we'll maybe get some more information. And it's tough, you know, for, for a league like baseball, how, you know, how quickly do you like squash the notion of things happening normally? You know, are they going to say like, okay, season's delayed for a month or are they going to come out the gate and be like, you know, we're going to hopefully three months from now or, if they say three months from now, can they go back on that? And uh, right. yeah, it's, it's, it's tough when it's day by day like that. Cause everybody's kind of just waiting all the players and the media and everybody's just kind of not, you know, like, <laughs> is the season going to start soon or not?
1: Right. I think the other major detail to come out of this is uh, one team owner who's, who's cited um, not by name in this article um, by AMIC notes that, the, one of the scenarios that's been suggested is players giving a pro, given approximately a month to get back into shape before this right. thing would start up, which I, I think that is somewhat of a requirement a, a mini camp type of thing but a month is a little bit longer than I would have expected to hear
2: yeah I mean I think a lot of it unfortunately comes down to a lot of players don't have basketball courts in their houses or a gym available Bro like boys. I, I know I, yeah, I saw a, uh, I saw a tweet. Uh, I think it was from Jay King about Jason Tatum, and Jason Tatum said he had not touched a basketball since the season yeah. was over. Yeah, Gian- because the weather him. was. Yeah, because the weather was bad, and he doesn't want to play outside. So, like, I can understand. I, I mean, I, I trust all of these guys are like staying in shape as much as you can with like home workouts, uh, as an MBA player. But at the same time, you know, I mean, anybody. Anybody who plays basketball, like regardless of what level, if you have not shot or dribbled a basketball in a month and then you go on a basketball court, it's horrible. It's it's it is truly horrible. Uh, And so, you know, I know people think like, oh, these are the best players in the world. It shouldn't matter. But anybody who takes a month off from basketball and just tries to pick right back up and play games is going to be really, really bad compared to what they are at their at their peak, essentially.
1: Right. And I think one of the arguments, if if no players had access to courts or workouts, you know, you could say, okay, everybody's out kind of on an even playing field. Maybe the level of play is ultimately diminished, but at least everyone's facing the same problem. And when some players do have access and others don't, that creates a real problem. And I think maybe that's where the need for this kind of get back in shape period comes from. To me, though, like the whole playing outside thing is insane. Like if that's what that was the plan, like if the weather was nicer, it'd be fine. I could just play outside like that's no you're not going to replicate NBA reps or even training camp reps shooting around in your driveway. Even even if you bring in a trainer like it, it's just not the same whatsoever. To me, that's crazy. I I think I think it's insane that team facilities aren't open. Like I'm not saying they should be operating as normal with, with the full staff, but you can't get you can't get your players in just on like a. A every other day type of schedule like all right these six guys are coming in to work out on Monday these six are coming in on Tuesday you come in individually maybe with one coach or one rebounder like to me that just seems that seems incredibly harmless you know it it, it how is that how is that any more dangerous than going to a grocery store or stopping by somewhere to pick up food like you have less interaction in a one on one workout setting than you would you know we're not on like a complete lockdown where where nobody can leave their houses there's still people traveling there's still people moving around. There's still people going to essential businesses. Like I get not wanting to, to label an NBA facility an essential business, but it just seems like there, there are ways that this could be done.
2: Yeah. I think I swear I read something. I can't remember which player it was that the team sent them a hoop and the training staff like sent them dumbbells and weights. Um, I, thought, I thought it was Rodney hood, but I may have, I may have misread that. Um, but yeah, I mean, You would think if they're able, you know, I mean, I understand, I mean, the NBA kind of went through a weird PR situation when they were testing players, when other people couldn't get tests around the country. And so they just kind of went with the NBA did. They kind of just went with everybody self quarantine for two weeks. Don't take tests unless you, you know, unless you have symptoms. So I think they, I think they don't want to continue to, you know, come up against that public relations situation. Right um so that's that's a tough thing to navigate as well
1: all right let's get into this g league development system uh, like you said at the top i yeah this has been around for a couple of years and like to be honest i did not even know that this existed you know it's something that's been talked about every year around the draft when you have a rj hampton lamella ball situation even going back to brandon jennings emmanuel mudier guys who kind of paved the way for for players skipping college and, and playing overseas for a year terrence ferguson did it a couple of years ago and we're, we're yet to see a player go overseas and like turn into a star, you know, I, I guess Lamella ball to some degree, but he was already extremely well-known domestically. Normally it turns out for guys like uh, Hampton, Jennings, Moutier, where you go over there and you know, you struggle because a lot of these teams, you know, are not developmental based, you know, they're competing for for titles in their respective leagues and they don't necessarily have time to dedicate to developing this 18 year old who nobody knows, you know? So uh, I, I think the NBA has has striven, especially in the last two or three years, to really offer uh, an alternative. And I think even compared to this time last year, they now have a, a much more appealing situation um, where Sharif Abdurrahim, by the way, of all people, is heading this up. He's he's kind of like the, the go between between this system and the NBA and is kind of like the mini commissioner of it. Um, but this is a huge, huge boon for the NBA to get Jalen Green who's the the potential top pick in twenty twenty one, the number one player in his class. Um, he was expected to make his decision between Auburn or Memphis soon. And, and I wouldn't say this is like a massive shock given the the state of of basketball and especially what college basketball could look like next year, but getting a player of his caliber to kind of be the flagship guy now for this program is huge. And to kind of give an overview of of what to expect. like He's not going to go to a G League team. It, It kind of took me, I had to read a couple of articles to suss out exactly what this is going to look like. But essentially, the NBA and the G League are collaborating to sponsor a separate team. So he's not going to go join like the Wisconsin Herd or the Bakersfield Jam or whatever they're called now. He'll be on a separate developmental team that will be 100% for development and exposure. So it's a singular team that will operate in and outside of the G League. Um, according to the ESPN write-up, it, that team would be expected to play 10 to 12 games over the course of the year against G League teams that would not count in the standings. So essentially just scrimmages, um, with the primary objective being you know, evaluation. You know, Rather than having to send team or league scouts over to Australia to look at these kids in these kind of bizarre settings you now have basically designated showcase games against G League teams. Um, there was mentioned the possibility of playing against teams from other countries' development programs that the NBA sponsors, You know, teams from NBA Africa, NBA Europe uh, could be scrimmaging. Um, so it, it's essentially a tailor-made system for guys who want to bypass the college system, feel like they're ready to join a professional league. And I think the biggest difference overall this year compared to what it's been in the past and what's made it so much more attractive is they've essentially like quadrupled the salary. I mean, Jalen green is looking at a $500,000 salary. Um, it does include bonuses for, for completing tasks, workouts, uh, mentioned like even things like community events. Um, so it's not like you're just handed 500 K, you know, you get a base. And then if you want to make more, you're, you're kind of required to follow the steps of this program, which for the most part looks pretty appealing and pretty reasonable. Um, but what was your, your overall reaction to hearing this? I mean, I think it's a pretty big blow for college basketball, maybe in the short term. Uh, but at the same time, a pretty big step forward for what the NBA, I think, sees as its, its future development process.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I was pretty excited when I heard this. Um, or at least, you know, uh, I, I, guess that's the, I guess that's the right word for it. It's, I'm glad that someone, you know, kind of took the step to do this. I'm sure a lot of it was money motivated, you know, not that a hundred thousand dollars wasn't a lot of money. Um, but, you know, I think players were still worried about the money to exposure ratio of, do I go to the G League or do I go to college? Because if you go to Auburn or Memphis or any of these other schools do Kentucky, whoever, you're just going to get a ton of exposure on, yep. Just, television from ESPN and other media outlets who cover college basketball and everything like that. But it seems like the, the NBA is putting in an effort to make sure these games uh, are true exposure games and probably get on television. And I mean, that does take a step from a player to uh, a top recruit to go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to do this. And that puts the pressure on ESPN. It puts the pressure on TNT or whoever, Mm-hmm. Uh, or even NBA TV to air these games because people are, are going to want to see Jalen Green. And right. so if, you know, he's kind of taking a, a huge leap here in hoping this works, um, but if it, if it does, you know, you could really see this thing snowball,
1: I think. He is taking a huge leap in some ways. And, and another another way to look at it is I think he's he's getting some short-term security that he wouldn't have necessarily gotten in Definitely. college basketball. You know, if he goes... If he signs with a powerhouse, I don't know, Let's say I don't know Wisconsin or UW Green Bay, something like that. He goes there and tears his ACL. You know, that's that's kind of the big fear you always hear with with these prospects, and it's pretty rare. You know, we we saw Zion, you know, go through a torn meniscus and miss time and blow out a shoe, and and he was you know his stock wasn't any worse for the wear. But if you suffer a major injury there, you know, you know a Harry Giles situation, for example. You know, I mean he he was hurt before going to Duke, but you know never really. Never really developed, ultimately ends up, you know being drafted probably fifteen spots later than he was projected to go the year before when he was a high school star. Um, at least at least now you're getting this five hundred thousand dollars cash grab. Um, it, it sounds like he's going to be in line for a shoe deal early on, you know something that he wouldn't have been able to negotiate until at least another year in the future had he gone to college. so you're you're kind of starting the entire professional process a year earlier than a lot of your peers. and, I think that the biggest trade-off, and this is something that I feel like isn't talked about enough in this debate, is just like maybe these guys are operating in a different mindset than, than like you and I were in high school, but like I think college basketball still holds a lot of appeal, right? Like a lot of a lot of kids still come up loving the tournament, you know, falling in love with certain players when they're kids. And you like if you have the opportunity to go and play basketball at Duke, that is super, super appealing. I don't care who you are. And I think the NBA had it had to make it worth these guys' while. You know, and I think that's where the money comes in. You know, we, we've, we've seen guys skip college to go play overseas. They, it's, not, it's not because RJ Hampton loved the country of Australia. It's because Australia was offering him the most money and it, it became worth it at some point for him to go there. And I think the G League essentially had to had to significantly raise the money being offered to these guys in order to prevent them from, from circumventing the country and, and doing it overseas. I mean, they're trying to build basically exactly what the NBL was offering guys like Hampton and LaMelo.
2: Yeah. And I, I agree that, you know, going to Duke or playing for a program like that is like a lot of kids dreams essentially. And I think, you know, I mean, this is something that, you know, I, I know I hear Bill Simmons talk about, but um a lot of people, a lot of kids growing up now, they idolize players more than teams, you know, like the Zion Williamson phenomenon. He would have been a phenomenon wherever he went people like, you know, I, and uh, so Maybe that's kind of the mentality of, you know, people are going to be Jalen Green fans. They're going to see him on Instagram and YouTube highlights and mixtapes, and they don't really care where he goes uh, as long as they get to see him. And he's playing competitive basketball.
1: That's a really good point. And I I think I I do think that's something that maybe like older fans don't realize is these guys are like someone like Jalen Green has been featured in. House of Highlights and Slam Magazine, Instagram for like the last four years. You know, I mean, when you're when you're a top 10 guy in your class in 2020, that comes with a lot more than it did back in the day. You know, I I think in 15, 20 years ago, you would hear about the LeBron James of the world. But like, I I don't think the average person knew who like the sixth overall recruit in most classes was. And I, I think back then you needed to go to college and get that exposure to really boost your national profile, whereas a lot of these guys are basically their own business at age 16. You know, they're 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 kind of able to to market themselves significantly earlier than a lot of players have been in the past. So I think that's a really good point by you that they don't they don't necessarily need the signal boost that that major college basketball brings to a lot of guys.
2: Right. I mean, these are guys who if they have that many Instagram followers, they're basically they're they're basically, quote unquote, influencers. Right. Right. And they can make money from advertised posts and yes. stuff like that, which and they you cannot
1: can do it, if they're a freshman,
2: which is insane. Right. Uh, you know, uh, and so that is a huge,
1: Think you know, about that's a huge, you, yeah. Yeah. Well, think of, think about like if Zion Williamson had done this and, and things were different a year ago, even, but if he had just bypassed college, like how, w- Nike, Adidas, whoever Reebok Dada, everybody would have been lining up to offer him a shoe deal right away. Right. Like he could have, who knows what he could have made the second that he graduated high school, you know? And I, I think yeah. this is, that's kind Brilliant. of what, like Jalen green, isn't quite Zion, in terms of the appeal. I mean, Zion was you know, once in a, once in a decade type of prospect, but you know, I, I think that's the path that, that people want to go. I mean, I, I think Zion, I and mean, if we believe the rumors, he, he was at one point considering coming back to Duke for a sophomore year. So I'm sure he would tell you it was worth it. But from his personal brand standpoint, he didn't really stand a whole lot to gain from going to Duke other than just enjoying being a college freshman.
2: And that's what it seemed like Zion's mentality was, is he right. wanting to enjoy the college experience. And right. So you can't blame him for that. And, uh, but you also have to believe that if Zion did this exact same thing, that all of his 10 to 15 G League games would have been on national television.
1: Yeah, and I, I think people would have been interested. You know, I, I'm not I, I'm not super interested. in, you know, when they televised a G League showcase, every now and then they'll throw a game on. And, you know, you go on Twitter, nobody's talking about it. I, I think if you have, and I think what we should also mention is, is Jalen Green is paving the way for other guys in this class and in future classes to do the same. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are... A kid just committed, uh, decommitted, I should say, from Michigan earlier this week, and it doesn't sound like he's committing to another school. And I, I think the general expectation, um, Isaiah Todd, I believe his name is. He, I think he's expected to, to end up joining this program. You have Thon Maker's cousin, McCurr Maker, Maker uh, a couple other, you know, top top 20, top 30 type of guys who could end up going this path as well. So it, it's not like it's just going to be Jalen Green. You know, it, I think one, one thing that's important to mention about the structure of this team is it's not just going to be a bunch of 18 year old kids. I think the goal is to, it it sounds like right now have maybe five or six guys who are prospective prospects for the 2021 NBA draft on the team, and then fill it out with veteran pro players, you know, guys who've been in the G League, guys who are looking for a break. Um, and, and, and Sharif Abdurahim have some quotes in that ESPN article that, Basically implies that like being on this team is going to carry responsibility. Like it's not just going to be a random roster. Like they're going to handpick who is on this team with these guys in an effort to set them up best for the future. Just to kind of learn the professionalism, learn the lifestyle. You know, they're not going to be living the typical Sioux Falls Skyforce lifestyle where you're bussing around everywhere. Like this is this is to prepare you for the NBA, not just throw you into the G League. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know.
2: I, I got part. Part of me now wonders when you say that because you're right. That's what it sounds like. That there might be some animosity from other like G League players regarding, yeah. like when you when if you if you play for the Skyforce, and you are by all accounts just busting around and your salary is nowhere near these guys, and then you, you know, you play an exhibition game against you know these college these eighteen year old college kids essentially. Yeah. Uh, I I wonder if that might get heated at all. I feel like maybe not, but kind of when you, when you have that such an extreme, you know, dichotomy of uh, I guess hierarchy, if you if you have, because yeah. normally in the NBA and normally, you only see that in, in college normally, right? You only see, you know, the up games. That's the only time you ever see that, but this is a little different than that. You know, when a, if a D one yeah. school plays a three school or a D two school or whatever right. it is.
1: Yeah, that was one of my first thoughts, too, is, I mean, he's making like 10 times what some players in the G League are going to make over the course of the season. Like what, how do you determine the salaries going forward? That was something that that wasn't really answered in anything that I read is like, why is he specifically getting this money? It mentioned that other prospects would get less. I don't know why that would be like, is there a negotiation process? You know, we'll, we'll get more details, I'm sure, over the next few weeks. But yeah, that's something I thought, too. You know, if you're scrimmaging the Wisconsin herd against this select team where, it's a bunch of guys who, if you're a 26-year-old scratching and clawing in the G League to make it to the NBA, you're making 40000 and this kid who just came out of high school is making 500000 to to play one quarter of the schedule that you're playing to have a lot more luxuries, a lot more opportunities. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that too. I, I think there might be some some jealousy, and I don't know, maybe that leads to players wanting to be on this select team as opposed to in the G League. I, I don't know. It, it It does seem a little odd to me to have this kind of like All right, we're gonna have this 30-team league that operates, even even though they've increased the salaries over the last couple of years, the G League is still operating. They're they're balling on a budget, pretty heavily, so it is kind of strange to have this full league operating like that, and then there's just like special select team that gets all the perks.
2: Yeah, and I mean I, you know, I mean the NBA is gonna be able to do a lot of good things with this, like you mentioned the kind of the tasks or programs they're gonna be in. I'm sure a lot of that's gonna include like like you mentioned some code of conduct stuff, yeah. some like, uh, you know, money management strategies, which I assume is going to be a huge portion of it, which I already know the NBA has been way more pro- proactive with over the past, mm-hmm. I guess, 10 years, probably five, 10 years. Um, I, I think, I think it will be interesting to see how like the general public kind of views this, or at least the, you know, the the college basketball fan or the, the fan of like the NBA draft where we, cause we see this with international mm-hmm. prospects where people are like, well, how do you, you know, how do you know how good Luka Doncic is? He's never played against Kentucky. Uh, right. And, you know, are people going to be like, well, how do we know how good Jalen Green is? He only played, you know, against the real Grand Valley Vipers. But I think, right. uh, you know, I think I there's think- going to be some of that, but, but also a lot of those players, a lot of these G League players were extremely good college players. And if right. you put them in college, they would be great. So it's that's kind of a hard, uh, I, I'm just interested to see how people well, kind of view that aspect of it.
1: I think nationally, this isn't the case, but if you really watch like the the quality of play in the G league is what head and shoulders above college basketball, you know, it doesn't have the fanfare of college basketball, but I I think, I think if you're an NBA talent evaluator, you're a scout, you're a GM, you would much rather see an 18 year old kid play against G league competition than play against Stony Brook or Providence. You know what I mean? Like I I think, I think nationally you'd rather watch college basketball because it's just a more appealing product. But if right. you're truly looking for NBA evaluation, this is this is the way that that the league would prefer it. Maybe not fans, but I think this is how the NBA would want it.
2: I would agree with that because
1: pretty much every
2: G League team is playing a modern NBA style, at, yeah. um, you know they give up and down the court. I mean, you're not talking about like you're never. I mean, Jalen Green's never gonna <laughs> like play against a Wisconsin type team in the G League or, you know, some other slow-paced team that is going to try to grind it out to, like, 65 points. And yeah. I just I always wonder how, like, how useful is that? Like how, like, how useful is watching someone play in, like, one of those games when you know in the NBA teams are literally going to be twice the pace. They're going to score twice as many points. There's going to be, you know, it's going to be more spaced out, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I agree.
1: I think the overarching point before we move on is that sure. the NBA is now in control of how these players are developed and evaluated. I think going back to your point about like in the college, in the college game, the NBA, like it's extremely prohibitive in terms of what they can do. You know, I mean, you can't even contact these prospects. Like now I I assume like every NBA team is going to have scouts at these showcase games. Um, You're going to be able to get feedback from G league coaches who, you know, most of whom have have relations with NBA coaches. Um, You know, there's just going to be a lot more, exposure for like the the people who are really in the inner workings of scouting. I, I think it's going to be really good from that perspective. Um, you know, like if you like, for example, if, if a player, a top prospect goes to Syracuse and plays in a two, three zone the whole year, it's going to be really tough to evaluate how he is as an on ball defender. If, if you're, yeah. you know, now in the G league, I, I think you're just going to, you're going to be able to answer those questions. You know, like I, I think teams will have a little more influence as like, Hey, we, we want to see if this guy can, can operate as a three and D guy. And there's going to be the opportunity for him to do that in the G league. You know, I think it'll just be a more comprehensive evaluation process. One of my questions though, is like, how, who makes the cutoff? If, if like the 150th rank prospect in the class of 2021 says, I don't want to go to college. I want to be on this team. Like, does the NBA say like, uh, no, we don't think you're good enough. Because for the most part, especially in the one and done era, you know, the the top 20 to 50 recruits are usually the guys who, go in the lottery, even if they don't play all that well, like the pedigree from high school oftentimes carries over and still makes you a lottery pick. But there are times when guys who are ranked, you know, well outside the top 50 end up becoming a a first round pick, a high first round pick. You know, I I think this is kind of a bad example based on how his career has gone. But like Marquis Chris was like not on the radar at all before his freshman year at Washington. He ends up being a lottery pick and what was ultimately a bad draft, but still a lottery pick. Like, how does the NBA determine who qualifies for this program? I, I think that'll be really interesting to see.
2: Yeah, I would imagine I I would imagine that um some of this may have to do with how much you've participated in like uh you know like uh, USA basketball under 17 and various like events like that. Um I can't say off the top of my head whether I know that he has um but yeah, I uh I don't know. I mean, you feel like there's got to be some sort of like there's got to be some sort of method here and there has to be some sort yeah. of cutoff. And I don't know if it's like that sort of a thing, but maybe we'll, we'll learn more or maybe it'll always be like weird and mysterious.
1: Yeah. I would say it's a safe bet that it'll be a little bit of both. There will always be an air of of mysteriousness to it. Let's get to your 2020, 2021 power rankings. I'll, I'll see you do the floor. You can kind of tell me your process uh, of how you went about ranking these teams, how you went about tiering them, what you took into account Uh, And then we'll kind of go tier by tier and, and just, and just kind of talk through the rankings.
2: Yeah. So in some ways this ranking was easy in some ways it was hard. So I think, I think the easy thing is the free agency class is pretty bleak. Um, You can, you can mostly, I believe, assume that the teams as they look now uh, this year are going to be pretty static uh, when it comes to next season for the most part, obviously trades can happen, There are some free agents, but I don't think it's going to be any huge blockbusters. The hard part uh, was that the league is extremely balanced now, uh, especially with the Warriors dynasty dying out just an influx of talent we have in the league. And also we've seen a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, Kevin Durant didn't play. Kyrie Irving missed huge chunk of the season. Steph Clay didn't play. Draymond wasn't trying. Um, So it was hard to figure out where to put certain teams. Uh, like the Nuggets, or excuse me, like the Nets and the Warriors, um, and then there are just a ton of teams in the middle. So that was that was tough for me. But basically, yes, I tiered them. Um, it's one, two, three, four, five tiers, um, and then at the top uh, is basically teams that I think are legit contenders. Teams that I would expect to be in the NBA Finals, and it's a disappointment if they aren't. And then basically, the way that I thought these tiers out was any team. In a tier above, I would theoretically pick in a playoff series over any team below, uh, okay. and then teams within that tier, you know, you would assume those those matchups go to six or seven games.
1: All right, well, let's start with tier one then. Give me give me your top three in order. And again, this is just based on, you know, kind of what projected success for next season. We're not taking into account ownership, front office behavior, thing like that. I mean, free agency, potential player movement, obviously, are, are weighed in, but. I, I, is it safe to say it's mostly about about the roster more than anything else?
2: It's mostly about the roster. Some teams get a bump because of coaching and yeah. stuff like Raptors, uh, etc. These aren't necessarily in order though. Like I have, so I okay. have Bucks, Lakers, Clippers. That's not really in order. It's kind of just like the group. Um, okay, but yeah, and I, Bucks, I think it's Lakers, really hard Clippers. to rank those
1: teams, so that's fair. Yeah, and so
2: uh, for me. I just think the talent level on those teams is above the rest of the league. Um, in terms of, I mean, the Lakers, and the Clippers, the argument's super easy just because of the, you know, they're the big two, I guess. Um, and then the Bucks, you know, Giannis being who he is, the system that Bougainholzer has in place, obviously his number two in Chris Middleton isn't elite, uh, but the system is, and obviously we all know how good, you know, Giannis is as a two-way player. So I just don't see any other teams on this list. Definitely being able to jump into that tier where I, I would expect them to be in, in the NBA finals, and I would consider it to some extent a failure if they weren't in the NBA
1: finals. Yeah, I think this is the consensus top three. It, it's kind of interesting to do this exercise right now because it, it's projected to be such a weak free agency class that, you know, had we done this this time last year, you know, it would be impossible to predict. We'd be like, I don't know where Kawhi Leonard's going. I don't know where. Kevin Durant's going to end up. Yeah. It just would have been like, there would have been so many variables that we would have had to either like just say, okay, I think Kevin Durant signing here and this is where that yeah. puts that team or just leave them out entirely. But the fact that like the biggest name on the move could be like Gordon Hayward or Montrezl Harrell, <laughs> right. you know, it makes it, you know, you have to consider that, you know, like I assume that was factored into, to your analysis of the Clippers, you know, if Montrez Harrell isn't there, how much does that knock them down? I'm with you that it, even if he does leave, um, which which I think is fairly likely, having Kawhi Leonard and having Paul George is enough to keep you in, in tier tier one. Um, I, I guess my question is, of these three teams, they all, have, they all have question marks. And the fact that we may not, even if we do have a, a playoffs, you know, I, depending on how it looks, it might be unsatisfying in terms of how good is this team actually. You know, I, I think if there's an abbreviated playoffs no matter who wins it's it's going to be it's going to be called into question just based on all the variables that are at play but which of these teams do you think is is at like the most risk of regression next season
2: ooh um, that's tough uh, i don't know i mean i think from a wins perspective maybe just the bucks um, yeah. just because you know the pace that they were at obviously historic so, I think from a wins perspective, there, but I don't really think that what they were doing was necessarily something that would, you know, would regress to the mean super hard. I mean, Brooke Lopez, horrible three point shooter this year, considering the volume that he was taking. It just didn't matter. Um, and I'm not expecting any weird sort of regressions like that next year. Or so, I'm not sure. I mean, the the loss of Montrez Harrell potentially could do it for the Clippers, but they also played a lot of their games without Kawhi Leonard, without Paul George. Mm-hmm. Paul George was not 100 percent for a huge portion of the year, even when he did play. Um, I don't know. I really don't think either any of these teams are are really due for a regression. I mean, LeBron's gonna be another year older, but I don't think it's you know I don't think that's damning by any means. So I, I really, I mean, do you do you feel like one of these teams is is due for a or, or is uh, more likely than the other to have a significant regression?
1: No, I think it's I think there are reasons that each of them could regress, but I don't think there's one obvious team that sticks out. You know, I, I guess like unless Davis were to leave the Lakers, which I haven't heard anybody talk about, that seems like a done deal or as much of a yeah. done deal as it's always been. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, I kind of like your your choice of Milwaukee just because I feel like they have like the most ground to lose just because they've been so good the last two years. That they could still they could win like 58 games and have a great year, but that would still count as a regression. I'm trying to look right now, like the last team. There are not very many teams in history that have won 60 plus in three straight years. The Warriors did it 15, 16, 17, as you'd expect. But beyond that, you had you had one of the Bulls runs in the in the nineties. The Celtics did it twice in the eighties, the Lakers did it in the eighties. But it it's pretty rare. I mean, back to back is even fairly rare. But to do it three seasons in a row, like not only does that require a lot of roster continuity, it requires a lot of health. You know, like if, if Chris Middleton misses 25 games next season, that changes things. You know, if, if Giannis misses even 15 games, that could change things. But um, I, I think those three are are pretty squarely the top three for next season. I, I do want to know, looking at your tier two, which which is quite a bit more robust, which team in tier two, and you can run through them quickly, which team do you think or did you consider – placing in tier one, if any, or which one was closest to those top three?
2: So I'll run through them first. Uh, I have Raptors, 76ers, Mavericks, Celtics, Rockets, Jazz, Nuggets, Nets, Warriors. I put Nets, Warriors here, first of all, just kind of like our respect for KD and Steph and Clay. Um, I am really confused on where they're going to fall in the hierarchy of things, but I feel like this is the right place for them. This is kind of the group that I would consider dark horse title contenders um to some extent i think the team that i could see moving up into the you know the true title tier um i still i still believe in the 76ers man i don't know what to tell you they have given us zero reason to believe in them from a uh especially you know <laughs> the way they play on the road but i i just can't look at their their talent anymore and or i just can't look at their talent and think that like I would put any other team over them. I understand the Raptors and the Celtics have great coaches and great cohesion, um, especially. And I don't know. I, I can't look away from the talent of the 76ers. I think they would fire Brett Brown before they try to get rid of the, before they tried to shake the talent up.
1: So real quickly on the Sixers, they're, they're in like a really weird spot based on how the league is operating right now, because I think if, if the season had gone on as normal, coronavirus never exists, they they lose in round one, that prompts action. Whether it's firing Brett Brown, whether it's trading Embiid or Simmons, like they would have had to do something. And now, like, let's say the playoffs resume and it's an abbreviated thing and they, they still lose in round one. There's still the excuse that like, okay, our first of all, you know, arguably our best or second best player in Simmons was hurt at the time the season shut down. Who knows where he's at physically? And even if everybody is in theory at full health when the playoffs would resume and they lose, like you'd still have the excuse that this was such a weird process. Like how do we possibly make a long-term evaluation based on this? So there, yeah, I'm of the belief that they don't need to necessarily blow things up. But if, if we get to this point next year and they have another letdown, we'll say, you know, we could say like, man, they should have just done this a year earlier. So they're, they're kind of in this position where they might not get a real evaluation on their talent this year. I, I do have to disagree with you though. Like they're they're not the team that I would put close to tier one. I think I would roll the dice with either the Nets or even more so the Warriors. You know, I think if if let's say what are the chances that KD comes back and looks pretty much like his old self? Like I, I feel pretty good about that. Like seventy percent chance that he's maybe not hundred percent of KD, but is like ninety percent.
2: A lot of percentages, but yes, I agree. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, right.
1: You know what I mean. But like I, I yes. I'm not, I'm not expecting this to be you know, Chris Webber situation, like the, like the rewatch we did. And he's just, you know, he comes back from that ACL and it's like, my God, who that, like who replaced Chris Webber with Sheldon Williams? I, I think Katie's like, he's a really, really, really good. He, I think the fact that he went to the Warriors and his reputation suffered because of it. And then missing all of this season with the torn Achilles, like I was telling you off air before we started recording, like, it just feels like people have for, kind of forgotten about KD, the basketball player. And the only time we discuss him is when people are making fun of him. And now there's this Warriors book coming out by Ethan Strauss that every day a new excerpt seems to come out that that like further trashes KD. It just seems like everybody's forgotten, like how insane he is as a player. And like everybody's just kind of moved on to Kawhi as like the new guy who challenges LeBron. And if if Durant comes back pretty much healthy, I, I think we can't underrate like how how much of a franchise changer. He is, you know, I mean, he's a, he's one of those guys that when he's at his best, like that's like an automatic 50 wins, no matter who's around him. If Kyrie stays healthy, I think things could break their way. A lot of ifs with that supporting cast. So maybe that's why they're not the team that I would put in that hypothetical fourth spot. But I think golden state has earned the respect to, to kind of be that next team up. And I am I'm kind of with you that there are enough variables as far as like your two best players coming back from major injuries um to keep them in tier two but i mean you have arguably like a top 15 player of all time coming back healthy and curry you you would imagine you'd get a better version of draymond green you'll get clay thompson who i've said multiple times on this pod i'm not really worried about coming off of an injury just the style of player that he is you have andrew wiggins who at the end of the day is andrew wiggins but is a better role player than a lot of the wings that they've been throwing out these last couple of years based on how they had to do this kind of feast or famine roster um you know, they'll, they'll, they'll just have a little more flexibility. They have the number, you know, potentially the number one pick in the draft. Like there, there's just a lot to like, I think about the warriors and, um, you know, I don't have a problem with you putting them in tier two, but I could very easily see them being a tier one team early on next season. You know, once everything kind of resumes.
2: No, that's a, that's a good take because, you know, I think, I think the Wiggins acquisition has become a little underrated or almost forgotten about, um, like if he's your fourth best player, you're doing pretty well, obviously. And that's always the thing with the Warriors is, you know, if they get a competent rotation player as their fourth guy, they're they're pretty good to go. And the number the, you know, getting a top draft pick, that plays into it because you figure if any team has a system that can help someone thrive, it's the Warriors, right? Just unselfish, right. uh, very roll heavy. Uh so I agree with you in that they're a team that could definitely move up. Um I will admit I did a lot of this through expectation, so like I don't think it would be I wouldn't I I don't think it'd be a failure if the Warriors didn't get to the NBA Finals. Like I think if they lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Clippers or the Lakers, people be like, oh yeah, sure, that makes sense. Uh, but at the same time, I do think I do think you're right. I think for me, the Seventy Sixers and the Warriors. Now that that you make that argument, makes sense to jump into that tier. The Nets too. I am worried about the injury situations there. Um, you know, with with Kyrie, especially, but also, uh, you know, KD. I'm not I'm not as worried about him not being himself. I'm worried about re-injury to like a knee or something like that. But we've seen DeMarcus Cousins after the ACL and his body type is completely different. I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm comparing apples to oranges here, but just go down and down and down and can't yeah. recover. And but they do have a better, you know, I mean, Karis LaVert and Spencer Dinwiddie and the combination of Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, that's a pretty nice supported cast. So, yeah. And that's why this exercise was really difficult. We were talking about how many teams in this league have great players on them.
1: Yeah. I, while we're talking about good teams, I do want to mention a great point that you brought up before we hit record, which is, you know, part of this relates to Kevin Durant no longer being on the Warriors, but part of it is just kind of the talent boom that we're in. Like, I'm so excited for, for next season, whatever it looks like or whenever it starts, to have like I think I think we talked about how much fun this year was, you know, with but before everything got shut down, you know, it was shaping up to be an awesome playoffs where you had three really good teams, a few other, you know, borderline really good teams, Toronto, Boston, Philly, um even teams like the Jazz, the Nuggets, possibly the the Rockets. Um, it was just shaping up to be a really fun playoffs where you didn't know who was going to win. And I think next year has the potential to be even better. Like this season was great without Steph Curry, without Clay Thompson basically without Draymond Green, without Kevin Durant, we got like 20 games of Kyrie Irving. You know, like I, I think I think next season when you throw the Nets in as a possible contender in the East and then you return the Warriors to being a contender, but not an overwhelming favorite like they had been the previous three, four years. Um, like I think the Warriors could be just as good as the Lakers or the Clippers. Like we're going to have three bona fide big time title contenders, teams that in a lot of years would be the, the sole favorite to win the title in one conference. And I, I think... If if Katie and, and Kurt and Kyrie are healthy, like the Nets could be right up there with the Bucks. Uh, you know, the Raptors certainly don't look like they're going to get any worse. Um, you know, like you said, there's still reason for optimism with Philly. Like, I, I think next year is shaping up to be a year with with even more parity. And I, I think an even higher level of talent based on the the all NBA caliber guys that will be coming back from long term injuries. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just insane amount of talent and the league um do you do you think we should go to the next tier
1: yeah unless there's anyone else from tier two that you want to hit on um i mean i i threw the mavericks in
2: there even though i mean they're the seven seed this year sure. um not that they were that far off from being like the three seed or the four seed based on like wins because the western conference was so tight uh but they're a team I, I really believe in moving forward, partially because Luka Doncic is at the helm, who by all accounts could ease, I mean, there's a high likelihood he'll finish as a top five MVP candidate this year, and with good reason. He's not like, if he finishes fifth, it's not an like Isaiah Thomas fifth. Uh, Celtics Isaiah Thomas fifth, it's a legit fifth. And I, uh, I believe in Porzingis after he, not necessarily as a, I mean, I think he can be a number two guy. I think his impact uh, is just a kind of a three and D forward. Um, Not, but like a lead at that, if that makes sense. Um, I have some concerns about the rest of their roster. I don't know how much you can trust Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, They'll eventually get Dwight Powell back. That'll be good. But I do think, you know, they, they have the potential to be like a really sneaky team. But I think they do need some more. They just need one more guy, or they just need to really fill out their their role players better. They there's something that has to to move forward there before Luka Doncic I think can really take this team to like the the title.
1: Yeah, I think they're still like you said, it's tough to pinpoint exactly what they need. I, they just need like general depth. I think that's it. Like you have your two foundation guys, which are the two hardest pieces to get, especially the the key piece in Doncic. Like that is the hardest guy to get in the entire NBA. So to have those two spots down and locked up contract-wise is fantastic, but you know, like they, they need to upgrade like the Dorian Finney-Smith spot. You know, he's he's a nice role guy. Probably shouldn't be playing 32 minutes a night. They need to up, upgrade the JJ Barea spot who was still in the rotation at times. You know, like they they just kind of need to add like two or three average to above average role guys and I would just feel so much better about their overall team.
2: Yeah, like if they had you know, like if they added Spencer Dinwiddie or something like to this roster, you know that would be yes, huge. exactly.
1: Somebody like that. Like I'm not saying they need to go out and add Kevin Durant. They they need to go add like I don't know. I was I was gonna, I was going to say Courtney Lee, but they already have Courtney Lee. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at like they're a team. Like if they got Montrez Harrell, I don't even I don't think they even can cap wise. But um, I'm looking oh, at just yeah. a list of guys like yeah, Eric Gordon is a free agent. Guys like that. You know, just just like a proven veteran who can give you 16 points off the bench like they're, they're missing that kind of guy and I think that's what prevented them from you know all season they've kind of been stuck in that six to eight range instead of instead of truly jumping up and joining the the Rockets and the Jazz and the Nuggets and I know there's not that many games that separate those spots but they they just haven't quite been able to get over the hump and and make a run at a higher seed really all year
2: yeah I agree they could they could really benefit from a fringe six man of the year kind of guy uh, on their team um is there anybody else from that tier you want to touch on
1: not really I I think it's you know status quo for a lot of these teams I I guess Toronto is maybe one and I I know I said they're not getting any worse anytime soon and I do believe that their their role guys are so strong Siakam kind of looking like the foundation going forward we do have to state though that at some point Kyle Lowry is going to fall off you know he's he had another really good year but you know, do they end up paying Fred Van Vliet? Is, is this the last we see of Kyle Lowry in a Raptors uniform? It, it kind of seems like he'd been on the brink with that team for a while. And, you know, winning the title last year certainly bought him some goodwill. But he's getting up there in age. And as good as Siakam is, like, there, there is a chance that maybe the Raptors take a step back, depending on what happens with them personnel-wise. I was thinking about that, too.
2: Um, you know, Kyle Lowry led the team in minutes. Uh, Serge Ibaka, fifth in minutes. He's 30 years old. Um, and kind of, it feels like a, you know, it feels like a a sneaky 30, uh, uh, and, you know, I mean, I have faith in Siakam. I don't think he's an all NBA player. So when your best player is not an all NBA player, uh, that can be tough. Uh, OG and is good, but he's still very young, still very raw, still mostly a defensive kind of role player. The development of Van Vliet will be important for sure. (laughs) Terrence Davis. I mean, they have some guys, but you're right. I mean, Mark Gasol is a shell of himself at this point. Um, and I, I just kept them in this tier because of the coaching, and I believe in their. I believe in their system. They're a great defensive team, et cetera, et cetera. But they do have the potential. I think they're a team. I think that could regress next year, as much as I do believe in them. I do think Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the in the league.
1: So looking at the rest of these tiers, I I don't want to go deep on like the Wizards or the Hornets or anything like that. I mean, the teams at the bottom are the teams you'd expect. You have you have Detroit, New York, Charlotte and Cleveland as your bottom four. I agree with that. But if you just want to pick out, you know, a handful of teams from the the tiers three and four um, who you found either tough to rank or, you know, you felt like maybe you put too high or too low. um, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to do that.
2: I'll just say the Thunder were tough uh just because i don't really know what they're going to do with like chris paul just the direction of the franchise is kind of up in the air but uh i can see them saying competitive i can see them trying to bottom out uh so i just kind of put them in this tier because they're competitive right now and it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen um i will say that i i flirted with putting the heat one tier higher in the tier we just discussed but when you compare their top talent to the other team's top talents in the tier, it's hard to put them up there. Like, I like Jimmy Butler a lot. I think he's good. I think he's borderline all NBA. Bam out of bio, borderline all NBA. He'd be like all NBA fourth team. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, they're a team that could theoretically, I think, jump over the Raptors uh, if if things bounce a certain yeah. way, but they were tough uh, as well. Um, and then I, I will say the three the three teams that I really, really struggled with uh, the Pelicans, Blazers, and Suns, who I ended up all putting in this tier. Uh, Pelicans because their late season surge. Um, most of their great, most of their good players are young. Should get better. Zion mm-hmm. being on the team is obviously a huge thing. Blazers, I think Whiteside had a pretty good year, maybe even a great year by his standards. Uh, but I think Yusuf Nurkic is better. I'm just can I I'm just not sure. How, how much of their struggles was based on uh, the white side replacement for Yusuf Nurkic or just really, really, really poor depth. Uh, so they were they were tough to peg. And then uh, the Suns, I think the Suns are just really talented. I they haven't really done a lot with it necessarily, but I think they're a team that could just very, you know, could sneak into like 49 wins next year, and nobody should be shocked if that happened, you know, based on their starting five, especially.
1: I'm always so wary of the suns because of their history. And they, they kind of did it again this year, you know, with, with the way that yeah, they started really and it immediately fell off and their second best player was suspended for steroids. You know, there's, there are reasons to like the Suns, like talent wise, for sure. I, I think I'm glad you put them in this tier because I, I think if they, if they finally do reach their upside for once, like they could very easily be in this tier, but they're a team that, I don't know if I feel the same way about them as I do Dallas, where, like, I, what what are they missing? You know, it just seems like they're just they're just missing like overall maturity, consistency. Like the roster's pretty solid as far as bad teams go. They have so much more than Detroit, New York, Charlotte, Cleveland, Atlanta. You know, even a team like like like, like I like their roster better than Sacramento's. You know, and I, it just seems like other teams have been able to maximize what they're getting out of these kind of cast offs and young players that, that usually fill bad teams rosters much more than the Suns have. Like they, the the caliber of talent on that team does not match the amount of wins that they've had over the last few years.
2: No, no, not at all. Devin Booker had very quietly an amazing year Mm -hmm. offensively, at least Um, the, the, the Aaron Baines versus Deandre Ayton thing. Like I think, really, kind of messed with my head a little bit. I was already kind of down on DeAndre Ayton, not necessarily like I think he'll be great. I think he'll be an All NBA caliber player, Um, definitely a perennial All Star because he's just the he he's a twenty and ten prototype. Like he'll just you know he'll he'll get there. But I think I think Ayton was just, or excuse me, I think Baines was just like I think he was more effective defensively. He spaced the floor. It's it's. I'm not saying that Baines is better, but there are going to be situations where you're going to be more successful with Aaron Baines on the court compared to DeAndre Ayton. And I think that I don't know if that messed with the psyche of the team. Um, Cause I, I'm a big Ricky Rubio fan. I think he's great. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on Kelly Oubre, but he's definitely good. I really like Mikael Bridges. Um, so you're right. I, I do really like their, uh, I think they have a lot of talent their, their bench is pretty thin. I will say, you know, you get down, you go start going down the minutes. It's cam Johnson. Uh, it's Frank Kaminsky, it's Javon Carter. I mean, they didn't even play Tyler Johnson like towards the end. So they might just need, they're another team that would really benefit from like,
1: Mm.
2: you know, adding, um, just adding some sort of six man of the year, you know, Eric Gordon, Dennis Schroeder, uh, to some extent,
1: Bobby Simmons. Uh, Yeah. Bobby. Yeah. Um, I, the other, the, the team from Tier Four that jumps out to me is Washington. Weirdly enough, just just because I've, I'm an eternal John Wall optimist, and this team was in ninth when play stopped, and it was a yep. gross roster. Like you, you, talk about a team that has that was outdoing its talent. Like the Wizards are like the opposite of the Suns. You know, I mean, like you had Brad Beal and, and Devin Booker were pretty similar players this year, but I thought Devin Booker had a, a much better cast around him, and I, I think if you put that Suns team with Beal in the Eastern conference, they're, they're probably in the eight. They probably overtake Orlando. I mean, they basically almost did with this roster that every big man was seemingly hurt for a while They They had like a rotating cast of G leaguers playing point guard. Like it was just a, a really gross roster. And, you know, John Wall's coming off of a really long absence. You know, he, he had dealt with injuries before this. He's coming off of like the most serious injury being an Achilles, but you know, the wall Beal tandem, when both of them were healthy and at their peak was really good, Brad Beal arguably still has like maybe one more level to go up. And if, if they can just make, you know, one savvy signing this offseason to, to build out maybe that wing rotation, maybe add one more reliable, big, uh, I, th- I think they could, they could still kind of use another guy alongside Thomas Bryant, who isn't Jan Mahimi, you know, that coupled with the return of wall. And if he, if you're willing to roll the dice on him, looking pretty good or reasonably close to what he was before the injuries, which is a very big if, but if if you are willing to do that, I, I think there's a chance that they're certainly not a title contender, but I think they could surprise some people and, and maybe jump up a tier.
2: I mean, I felt like it would have been disrespectful to put a, them in the tier below considering they were competitive this year with the roster that they had. So shout out to Scott Brooks for <laughs> making that happen. Yeah, uh, that I, I considered uh, I considered adding another tier, that like the wizards would have been in almost by themselves. Uh, but I just didn't want to do, I didn't want to do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they would, you know, if, if wall is a, you know, uh, a, at least a top 15 point guard next, next year. Uh, and if they're able to get, I mean, if they're a team that landed Montrez Harrell, or if they're a team that was able to land, you know, I always forget who's a free agent. I don't know if Bogdanovich is going to leave or not, but um it's, you know, even even someone like DeRozan would help them. Uh, so, yeah. just I I kind of put them here out of respect, just because they were able to be a competitive team with one of the worst rosters uh, behind a, an All Star. Well, someone who coulda or shoulda been an All Star uh, I've ever seen.
1: You might you might be onto something. Like whichever team gets Bogdanovich is going to win the title. Like he he might be the big swing piece this off season. Dude, the Wolves Wolves could use him. Yeah, a lot of teams could use them. The Wolves could use, you know, who the Wolves could use LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> they could, they could use Ty Crane. Um,
2: they need Bill, they need Bielitsa back.
1: Well, let's let's finish out on the Wolves. Where where are you at with them? I, I feel like in general everybody is pretty down on the Towns Russell pairing, and based on what we've seen from these guys individually over the last few years, I, I think that's generally fair. But we also haven't really seen them play together at all. Like, are you are you willing to at least give that? that pairing a shot because towns was, was hurt basically essentially as soon as they, they got Russell and we never really got to see that this year.
2: I mean, I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, I think they only played 60 minutes together and it was atrocious defensively, like a laughable that, that defensive. Right. Training, but yeah. Right. Uh, that almost doesn't count though. I'm, I'm willing to give them a shot. Cause I, I'm a huge towns fan. I'm not as big of a D'Angelo Russell fan. I think his inability or unwillingness to get to the basket is a problem. I, Don't want to rely on my point guard being a jump shooter uh, necessarily. So that's going to be tough. Um, They're also pretty capped out. I don't really know what they're going to do with their depth. They were interesting uh, after the trade deadline. They were playing uh, extremely fast-paced offense. A lot of James Johnson running the point. Malik Beasley uh, turned into Ray Allen. Uh, So that was weird. But I mean... I don't know. I mean, it's kind of the, you know, if there's one thing that you probably want in the modern NBA, it's okay. We have our point guard who can run, who's pick and roll heavy or pick and pop heavy. And then we have our, uh, or, and then we have our big who can pick and pop or pick and roll. And you just run that over and over and over again. And then we have wings that can just catch and shoot. So I think from a, a style perspective, a D'Angelo Russell Towns pairing makes a ton of sense. And it's how you would maybe want to build a prototypical offensive team. But the defense will be a problem. So the games will be fun. And I think they can win probably 40 games. Uh, and that shouldn't, you know, I, I expect them to win somewhere between 35 and 48 games, maybe, at the very upper tier, at the very
1: upper end. But And if they win I, 48 the games, for I, I, I think, like, they top out at, if they go 500 next year, that's great. Because they're another team that, beyond those two, even if you like those guys, like, the supporting cast is is pretty shot. It's
2: not good. No, it's not good. And that's what I mean. Like, it's, that's an absolute, you know, kind of, that's if everyone, like, if James Johnson beca- is still a good player, you know, if Juan Hernan Gomez, beca- you know, kind of fills out what his role could be, it's, right. it's a lot
1: of ifs. Um. I mean, listen to what I, we're talking about. Like, man, if I, Juan Hernan Gomez comes through. Dude, that, well, that's pretty damning. But <laughs> I,
2: I think that no. it's, it's just hard to think that they'll, like, won't be good. You know, like, it's very possible. We've seen teams like this in the past just kind of, like, flounder. But
1: mm-hmm.
2: offensively, they should be able to score 130 points a game just by running pick-and-pops with D'Angelo Russell and Towns. But uh, they may give up 135.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's spot-on. I think it's going to be a, a fun team to watch at times offensively, but ultimately a, a pretty frustrating team. And I, I think the clock is ticking on on Towns' wanting out watch. You know, I think that I think Devin Booker's in that category as well. But it's just it's just really hard to see a path to true contention anytime soon, even if it even like the best case scenario, like you said, is like 48 wins. I, I think that's way too many. But like even if that happens, what does that get you in the West? Like the six seed? Right. And it
2: just kind of came down to I mean, when you're talking about the tears, it's like, would you pick them on a playoff series over the Suns, Blazers, Pelicans, Pacers, Heat or Thunder? And no. And... Oh. I don't think so. No. So that's, that's why they're here.
1: I do think the thunder are the team that could maybe fall out of that group too. Just, just based on the Chris Paul situation, like it would be a tough call. Um, although they're one of those teams like, like I talked about with Philly and Milwaukee who like, you know, a a abbreviated playoff or a lack of a playoff, like maybe they never truly see what their ceiling is. And if if they want to move on from Chris Paul and sell, this is probably about as high as his stock is going to be the rest of his entire career. Like it it would, I think it's objectively smart to sell him this summer. If you can get a big return and just add to that absurd war chest of assets that they already have. Um, So they're a team that if, if they choose, it's it's going to be up to them. If they choose, I think they could take a pretty big step back with their eye on the future.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent They're The thunder are where they are in in this tier as a placeholder. Sure. I don't think they'll go over. What I say is, I don't think they'll go a tier higher than this. I think this is the highest they'll they'll be, based okay. on their
1: rosters. I think that's totally fair. Okay, well, I think we're out of topics. <laughs> I think we are. Yeah, we are. I don't want to talk about horse at all anymore. Are you going to be watching that tonight? No. Okay. Well, I I conveniently have a, a Zoom call scheduled with with my high school friends, so it just happens <laughs> to overlap with the entire horse competition tonight. So be it. <laughs> um but yeah i mean hang in there i'm hoping i know in wisconsin they just extended the the stay at home order for like another month and close to a month and a half i think we're looking a at month like maybe and sh- a month and change yeah just another whatever. month and change i don't even know how we measure days anymore it's uh so yeah we'll be we'll be doing this indefinitely but keep an eye out next week uh should be up on tuesday we'll do that 2012 gold medal game rewatch I'm really excited for that. I, these last three that we did were awesome, but I think doing a more modern game with, you know, for the most part, guys who are still in the league, uh, we we were kind of going back and forth yesterday looking at the rosters from that team. And like you forget, Dwight Howard was hurt that summer. Uh, Chris Bosh, I believe, either opted out or was hurt. That, that might've been the year he had the abdominal issue in the playoffs. So this team has Tyson Chandler as really its only center. The only other center on the roster is Anthony Davis, who barely plays as kind of the Christian Laettner of this team. Um, so, you know, of course they breezed through the early rounds, but it it gets a little bit dicey, uh, you know, in the, in the tournament rounds, despite the overwhelming talent on this team, the, the construction, I, I, kind of forgot, like how, how guard and wing heavy that team was,
2: it was, it was kind of modern before it's time really like it was like five years ahead, um, kind of based on a necessity, like you mentioned because of injuries, but that will be, I think that'll make it an especially interesting watch.